Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community. I'm Tom Brown, and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia. I'm glad to be with you today. With me in the studio is Joe Calloway with Grace Walk Church. And Joe's a character. He's an interesting guy. And we're going to get to know him up close and personal. Joe, thanks for being well, with me. Well, it's good to be here, Mark. And uh, thank you for having me. So we're going to start at the beginning. But Actually, let's start. Uh, tell us a little bit about Grace Walk Church, and then we're going to get your testimony. Well, Grace Walk Church is over on the west side of the valley. Um, in the city of Phoenix uh, on the lower Buckeye and 79th Avenue. Um, we're a very, uh, for the most part, young, young congregation. I think uh, 65% of our congregations under the age of 35 and uh, very multiracial mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a different, uh, not your average church. Uh, and uh, I can understand that. So our listeners can't see you, but you look like you could be with ZZ Top, right? You yeah. got a beard that goes straight down about eight inches, and you got a, um, a, a hat that looks like it fits right in. What kind of music do you like, by the way? Oh, I like ZZ Top. Do you? <laughs> uh, but, uh, well, I'm, I like the 70s a lot. That's, uh-huh. that's kind of my... You're, you're a little bit um, retro then, huh, in terms of... But but it's also pretty cool, and so it makes people feel comfortable, right? Yeah, I uh, I am a little bit not your average pastor. I typically ride a chopper to church mm-hmm. and uh, have a lot of bikers there, and just uh, you'll see a lot of people with tattoos and stuff like and that. And you've in got church. like a thousand people or so, don't yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Congratulations! So now we're going to back up. Tell us how you started following Jesus back in the day. Where'd you grow up? Where were you from? Well, I'm really from Arizona. I grew up on a cattle ranch, and uh, uh, but uh, we moved off the ranch to Chino Valley, Arizona, and uh, my dad bought a farm there. And, and uh, it was during that period of time, I uh, uh, seventh grade in that area, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd and uh, breaking into houses and using drugs. And I think. Uh, by the time I got into high school, I'd been arrested three times. And, and How'd uh, your dad respond when you got arrested? Oh. He'd be pretty upset, huh? Yeah, he was upset, very disappointed. Um, but, um, you know, he told me if you learn from these mistakes, your life doesn't have to keep going the direction it is. And, of course, at that time, I didn't really pay much attention to that. But uh, later on, it made a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. I uh, Upon graduating from high school, I... Went to college, majored in aviation, and became a professional pilot, and uh, flew fire bombers and, and, uh, for a number of years. And during that period of time, I got involved in smuggling drugs and, and dealing drugs in, in quite a large manner. From Mexico to here? Yeah, I didn't actually fly it in myself. I had people bring it in for me, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I was dealing you know, in tons of, of marijuana and... and uh, uh, had a pretty big thing going there. Uh, I valued my pilot's license, so I didn't actually fly it myself. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't jeop- you didn't mind jeopardizing your brain, your body, but you didn't want to mess with the license. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that was kind of it. And then in 1977, that's when it all kind of came to a head. Um, I was uh, been under surveillance by the Drug Enforcement Administration, they tell me, for a year and a half. And um, I was, this particular day, uh, bringing a, a, a load of uh, kilos of marijuana. Okay, stop right there, because this will keep people's attention. Uh, we're going to be back with this interview with Joe Calloway and find out what happened next right after these messages. I'm Mark Buckley. Stay tuned to Koinonia. My guest is Joe Calloway. I'm Mark Buckley. Welcome back to Koinonia. If you like ZZ Top, you got to like the introductory music there a little bit anyway, right? Yeah. Um, Joe, you were telling us you were you were doing some smuggling. You had been under surveillance. Obviously, you had no indication. You weren't even paranoid enough to sense that somebody could be out there. Or? Oh no, I knew I was under surveillance, and I. How did you find out? How did you realize it? Well, I just noticed uh, being tailed here and there, and uh, back then they had to have a beep on your phone if it was being recorded. And Oh, uh, really? And you got a beep, huh? Yeah. So we, we knew all the tricks, and we knew all the narcs, and we knew where they lived, and uh-huh. we spied on them. They spied on us. And uh, so I knew I was being uh, watched, uh, and even that day I got busted, I, I saw a carload of them go by my house, but we were usually pretty careful. Uh, that day I got a little careless. We were bringing a whole trailer load of kilos of marijuana and some hashish, hash oil up from the border. And uh, we uh, got busted and uh, it was kind of a... Were you driving? Or are you in the, were you in the vehicle or how did it happen? Well, how it happened was uh, we had loaded the trailer earlier in the day. Down and, south? In Bisbee, Arizona. Uh-huh. And uh, we had loaded the trailer and we had it set downtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to pick up the trailer, and before we got the trailer, we went to a Mexican restaurant and ate there. There was a used car lot across the street, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, as we walked out of the restaurant towards our vehicle, we just were hooking up to the trailer, uh, all these lights come on in the front row of the used car lot. <laughs> <laughs> they were cops. They drove right over the curb, over the sidewalk, and come just pouring in on us from every direction. Next thing I knew, I had guns pointing at me from every direction, and and uh, I thought it was a bad dream. <laughs> it was a bad dream. <laughs> so what happened? Well, what happened was uh, I was facing quite a bit of time, and uh, I was in a lot of trouble. I was involved at the time with about 22 tons of marijuana. So they uh, could give you 20 years in those days for that, right? What, what yeah, easily. Those, those I, are... I was facing five to life, two to 10, and one to five is the three, three different counts. Yeah. yeah, three different counts. And uh, I got out on bond. And uh, well, interestingly, while I was in jail, there was a jail ministry that came into the jail one weekend and started preaching. 
And what uh, city were you in? Jail? Bisbee, uh-huh. Bisbee, Arizona, mm-hmm. and in the county jail. And they were preaching, and people were mocking at them, laughing at them, making fun of them. And I was kind of the back. And I remember just praying, saying, God, you know, I have totally ruined my life. Yeah. And if you can get me out of this mess, I'll give you the rest of my life. And I prayed the sinner's prayer. They were trying to get people to pray it, but I didn't go up front or, or I didn't even it talk to them. from where you were, huh? Yeah. And then uh, a few days later, my uh, I got, uh, mom posted bond. And uh, they had to put up their whole farm. They had a pretty hard, a large bond on me. And uh, I got out of jail, and, and my girlfriend up in Prescott, Arizona, we, I was just having a custom homemade, and I was really rolling in the dough. And uh, my girlfriend said, you know, my, I want you to come to church, my parents' church, which was the door in Prescott, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I said, oh, no, I ain't going to that church. Those, uh, my mom said those are holy rollers, and they roll in the aisles, and they do all kinds of crazy stuff. I ain't ever going there. And she says, well, if you won't go at least once, I ain't going out with you anymore. So I went there, and uh, God just got a hold of my heart. And I got saved, gave my life to Christ, and, and uh, went to another couple of services. They were having a, a guest speaker by the name of Bob French. And... Uh, on the third service, he asked for people to come up for prayer that needed a, a miracle in their life. And I went up there. There was kind of a prayer line. I went up there to get prayed for for quit using drugs. And I'll never forget, he said, uh, well, you know, as a Christian, you shouldn't be using drugs. And I said, I know that. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, well, how long have you been a Christian for? And I thought back, well, you know, I guess I've been a Christian most of my life. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know much back then. But he prayed for me, and right that very instant, I was set free. I've never touched another drug since then. That was in 1977, uh, September of 1977. I've never used drugs from that day forward. Uh, I was completely set free. And I tried to quit a number of times on my own, but just couldn't seem to do it. Were you using mostly marijuana and hash in those days? Well, no. I used uh, cocaine. I used LSD a lot. I was like an acid head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I did use other drugs, uh, you know, PCP. Uh, Whatever was around. Huh? Yeah, I never got into heroin, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, I just like getting high all the time, yeah. and, and I did. Yeah. So the Lord touched you in a powerful way, mm-hmm. 1977. And what? so what happened, though? You're still you're out on bond. You're still facing some big time. Well, and I am facing big time. I'm facing five to life, and... Uh, I'd been, uh, like I said, arrested a number of other times, so I had a record. So I'm pretty concerned, and uh, uh, my case got drawn out over a nine-month period of time. During that nine-month period of time, I really got grounded in the church there and started serving God. Now, the door is kind of a very legalistic and kind of, kind of like a teen challenge, very structured. Yeah, yeah. And I needed that. You needed it at the time. Oh, you needed I needed to go. it at You the need time. to be in church every day. <laughs> yeah. And right? we did go to church every day, uh, <laughs> literally. And uh, But during that period of time, I really got grounded in the Lord, got a job, and, and uh, started uh, serving God. And uh, as my sentencing neared, my court case rather neared, uh, this guy mentioned a mitigation hearing. He said, you ought to have a mitigation hearing. I said, what is that? And he says, well, that's where people speak on your behalf. Why? due to mitigating circumstances, they should consider a lesser sentence. Mm-hmm. 
And so I asked my attorney about that, and he says, yeah, we could do that. And so my pastor, uh, uh, who at the time was Wayman Mitchell, and several other men uh, went down to Bisbee, Arizona, and they, they traveled all the way down there from Prescott. Wow. That's and, a commitment on their behalf. Oh, well, big time. And uh, spoke on my behalf. And then I got to speak. And my attorney had told me that uh, it would be best if I didn't say a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, or he'd rather I didn't even speak. He said, you actually can make it worse. And I just remember by that time I'd read the whole Bible. And I remember reading a scripture in there. It says, when you go, uh, you're before a court, just let the Holy Spirit speak. Yeah. Yeah. And you did. And I did. And what and, happened? What would well, you say? What, do you remember any of what yes, you said? Yes, I remember it distinctively. I, I told the court that I've done a lot worse things I've never been caught for. And at that moment, the attorney began to shake his head vigorously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, quiet, quiet. And I says, I deserve to go to jail f- for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I said, I'd rather go to prison for the rest of my life than to spend another day like I was. Uh-huh. And Jesus is real. And I told the judge, and by this time, my lawyer's laid his head on the desk. <laughs> he's very. <laughs> he's laid his head on the desk, put his hands on the top of his head, and just given up. And uh, I, I told the judge, I said, you know, judge, you may not have committed the crimes I've committed, but you're still in prison to your own sin, and you need to find Christ, too. And I told the prosecutors they needed to find Christ. I just went for it. I preached to everybody. <laughs> you laid your life on the line. It was my first sermon, and I preached <laughs> to everybody in the courtroom. And when I got done, the judge made a statement. He said, in all my years as a judge, and my attorney had told me he was the hardest drug sentencing judge in the county of Cochise. Wow. He said, in all my years as a judge, I've heard lots of people try to get on religion, get out on religion, but I've never heard anything like this. (laughs) (laughs) And so anyway, uh, he said, I want to think about this a week. I was going to sentence you today, but I'm going to think about this a week. And I was going to get a lot of years in prison. So uh, he says, come back in a week. So I came back in one week, and uh, I figured I needed to bring my toothbrush and a clean pair of underwear. I figured you're going to prison, you at least better have that. And I got down there, and um, he says, you know, I've really thought about your case, and I don't believe that incarceration will benefit you. I believe it might benefit those you're incarcerated with, so I'm going to suspend your prison sentence. I'm going to wow. give you a, a five-year suspended sentence, and what that means is if you get in any trouble whatsoever. Anything. You're going to get rolled up, spend that whole five years. Yeah. You, well, I'm going to – the new crime plus the yeah, whole yeah, previous yeah. thing, and uh, and it gave me a fine of $4,000. And um, That is a miracle. That is, that a, is miracle. a complete miracle. And it even gets bigger than that because a number of years later, matter of fact – um, uh, it was only 12 years ago that I went to adopt some children and found out that you can't adopt children if you have a felony. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you have to have a fingerprint, clear, a fingerprint clearance card that mm-hmm. you get from the Department of Public Safety. And when I, So I went and asked them. I said, well, can I try for an exemption? I've been a pastor for many years now, and mm-hmm. is there any way I could get an exemption? They said, well... You can apply for it. We really don't give them, but get your court records. So I went to get my court records from Cochise County, and the clerk said, oh, my gosh, I've never seen. I didn't even know this could be done. She said, after you completed your five-year suspended sentence, the judge overturned your guilty conviction to not guilty. Are you kidding me? And she says, I don't even know of anyone that's ever happened to. Wow. uh, 
So I was able to get the fingerprint clearance card and adopt the children. And so I guess the judge, I've always figured he must have been a Christian. Uh-huh. And he must have been kind of following me closely because, you know, uh, five after I got off uh, the five and a half years, I went into the ministry and pioneered a church in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, was ordained Foursquare back then, Foursquare wow. Gospel, and uh, started a church. That was 1983. And uh, the church grew, and, and uh, uh, the story goes on, you know. That's a great story, so, man. And, you know, because you were flat out guilty. I mean, it's not like you had uh, a lid, a couple of ounces of marijuana. Oh. You know what I mean? It, it isn't, it, they weren't, there was no question about whether you were a dealer. I mean, this was, you had hundreds or thousands and thousands of dollars worth of drugs. You were, yeah. they had caught one of the biggest dealers in Arizona. Well, what they did is uh, on the bust, it was the department, uh, DEA, uh-huh. uh, it was the Highway Patrol, DPS. Uh, Cochise County Sheriff's Department, Metro Strike Force, Bisbee County Police, they were all there. Do you know what a risk the judge took by giving you a suspended sentence? A big risk. Nowadays, they could have published that in the paper and practically drummed him off of the bench, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they could have then, too. Wow, this is the Lord. Hey, my guest is Joe Calloway, Grace Walk Church. We're going to be continuing this interview in just a moment. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Joe, I'm really enjoying this. Thanks so much. And we'll just keep going with your story. And Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. My guest is Joe Calloway, Grace Walk Church in the West Valley. Um, Joe was just telling us how um, not only did he get busted, but God miraculously delivered him. Um, he didn't end up going to prison at all, and then his record was basically overturned. He got a pardon, not from the president, but from a judge, really, didn't you? Yes, I did. And, and that is the job of a judge, is to discern what's be- in the best interest of society. And, and it takes courage for a judge to do that. It really well, takes Mark, courage. Mark, here's something else very interesting that I found very unusual at the time is when I got the terms of my probation and I was doing my five-year suspended sentence, in the terms of my probation, and I have those to this day, it says right in there that I can talk to known criminals, drug dealers, as long as I'm telling them about my faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> In other words, you're free to preach. Right. Yeah, it was amazing, and uh, uh, it allowed me to have some prison ministry and stuff during that period of time. Well, what's yeah, because usually if you um, had felony convictions, there you're, you're barred from going into a prison or to jails for you know for years afterwards because they don't want you associating and and. Co- collaborating in new crimes. You know, what happened was it probably exactly what you said. You trusted the Holy Spirit and you went for it. And that's so hard, even for a preacher, even for yeah. me as a preacher to this day. Sometimes, you know, we, we have a bit of a restraint on us. We, we hold back. We don't always tell people 
everything that's in our heart because we don't want to blow them away. But what it did was it showed the judge that he got a revelation, you're the real deal in Christ. Well, and I, I, th- I remember that, that time so well in my life uh, because it was a very frightening time. It was a scary time. I had ended up in that period of time marrying my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And so now we're married, and then she gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so we got a child on the way. And, here and you could be gone for the next 10 years yeah, easy. 10 years easy. Matter of fact, the only deal the uh, prosecution offered me was if I made four controlled buys of 400 pounds or more, they would give me 10 years. Are you kidding me? And so, and that, so you could go into prison and get killed then yeah and and so of course i didn't do that but uh it it was a a thing i really needed to trust god in but i also knew that jesus christ had so powerfully impacted and touched me personally that i honestly would have rather served the rest of my or lived the rest of my life in prison than to go on living my life without Christ. Amen. And he was that real to me. So it was easy to say that. Yeah. I, I did. Uh, I was convinced I was going to prison. I, I didn't think that what I said that day was going to prevent me from going to prison. Yeah. So you just decided, I'm going to let the Lord use me, let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. And I, I had actually been told that I was going to prison by, yeah. by the court. It sure. was just a matter how many years. Yeah. And you were going to prison. Yes. The Lord intervened. Because the truth is, we're always preaching the gospel, right? And you can never tell how much power it impacts people with. I mean, that's God's work. Our job is to preach it. It's God's job to add the power, to yes. add the grace. And that's really what happened. It's like he, he parted the, the veil over the judge to understand, no, this is something that I'm involved in here, uh, from the Holy Spirit. The same thing happens in our, in our churches. I, I uh, got a message recently that somebody in our church was leaving and they're a big giver, right? And um, one of the things I've learned whenever a big giver leaves a church, a new big giver comes along. That's right. You know, you don't have to try and hold on to people out of fear. And, and in this case, the guy's leaving for a good reason. You know what I mean? For a family reason, he needs to live. We're not saying don't leave, even though in our hearts we're like, oh, please don't leave. But no, we can't tell him don't leave because he's leaving to to do what he believes is God's will to help his family. And um, what happens to all of us is the Lord can, and how, how can he make this happen? He can make it happen just by allowing the Spirit to come upon somebody that is there visiting in a way that gives them a revelation, this is where they belong. I mean, it can happen in a twinkling of an eye. So um, you were very involved in your church in Prescott. Then you get uh, you, you plant a church. Tell us about how the church plant went and, and what began to happen in Tucson. Well, we planted a church in Tucson, Arizona. and, and uh, uh, in Was it the first uh, potter's house or door down there? At the no, no. They had another one. They had a couple of others already there. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, Harold Warner uh, had a church uh, called The Door on mm-hmm. the south side, and this was more on the north side of Phoenix. Of Tucson. Um, uh, of Tucson, Tucson, yeah. yes, Tucson. And uh, we were there five and a half years, and mm-hmm. we were able to buy property and, and had a pretty good-sized congregation going. And um, and uh, it's really the story gets continues to be interesting because uh, 
uh, every six months we went to a conference in Prescott, and at that conference they would, on a Thursday night, send missionaries all over mm-hmm. the, the world. And uh, uh, we were just kind of joking with our older kids. We had three kids by this time, and we had one kid in sixth grade and, and a daughter in fifth and a three-year-old, and, and we were kind of just joking, my wife and I, one day at the church about us going overseas mm-hmm. to just kind of tease the kids. Yeah. And uh, they, of course, they were all nervous about that, and they left and went outside, and it was just like at the same moment God spoke to her and spoke to me, I want you to make yourselves available to go overseas and be a missionary. So when we went to that conference, uh, it was in January, and uh, we went to Pastor Mitchell and, and told him that uh, we were willing to to go overseas. I offered to go to Singapore because uh-huh. I've been there and I thought that's a yeah, nice place. Yeah, the noodles are pretty good. Yeah, the it's noodles, pretty... noodles, Singapore noodles are excellent. And uh, but he says, well, we don't have anything available in in uh, Singapore, but uh, we do in Kisumu, Kenya, which I later found out was Kisumu. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, so uh, I says, well, uh, uh, let us think about that. And he says, well, you have three hours. Wow. And, uh, so three hours later, we came back and said we'd do it. And uh, it was just a few months later, we're in Nairobi, Kenya, trying to find our way to Kisumu. How did, how did he come up with that city and what was the... Well, they had already started several churches in Kenya, one in Nairobi and one in uh, Nakuru and one in... Uh, later on in Mombasa, and so this w- was a main city in Kenya, and it was on the the, the west side of Kenya, right on Lake Victoria. Uh-huh. Um, and so nobody was there. We had no contacts. We had no con- uh, connections whatsoever. So we got our. We had to get a vehicle. We bought an old used Land Rover, and it needed paint. The guy said, "Well, I'll throw in a paint job." He says, "What color do you want the paint?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well." I don't know, paint it gray and maroon. Uh-huh. I don't know why I picked those two colors, but I just picked them. And, uh-huh. and so probably only gray and maroon Land Rover in the world. Yeah. And uh, so while he's painting a vehicle, I'm invited to speak at one of those branch churches in Nakuru. So I go down there. It's about halfway to Kasumu. Kasumu's eight miles driving into some of the worst roads you ever mm-hmm. seen back in just those days. rutted. Pitted, well, just dirt. dangerous, you know, and, and lots of accidents and, and uh, just not in great shape. And um, so anyway, uh, I'm down there speaking. After I spoke, this this Kenyan comes up to me by the name of Otiano, and uh, he says, you know, God gave me a vision, a dream of that you were coming, and I'm supposed to help you start this church. Really? And well... You know, I'm a, uh, I come from the dark side of the moon, so I'm immediately, I'm suspicious of everybody. Uh-huh. And I said, no, you're, you're just a con man, you know. Mm-hmm. I says, well, tell me uh, about your dream. And he says, well, you're driving this vehicle and, and these other people do all this stuff. And I said, okay, what color is my vehicle? And he says, well, it's gray and maroon. Oh, really? <laughs> True story. And I, uh, Holy Spirit it. just went all over me. I said, okay, you're you got in. my attention now. And what's interesting, everything he said about he had that dream mm-hmm. came to pass, literally, just like he said it what did, What else did he say in the dream? Well, he said we were going to be uh, uh, five vehicles, mm-hmm. and we're all missionaries, and we had Kenyans in there, and uh, we began to fight amongst ourselves, and that did happen. 
and uh, we also we had a split, which there was a split. All from the original dream, and he wanted yes. in on it? Yeah, and he says, then you kicked me out of your vehicle, which I ended up kicking him out of the church. Really? <laughs> well, because he, uh, he, uh, he got upset when I left. It's a long story, but anyway, he, he told the secret branch, or the, which is like the, spe- it's called the special branch. He told him I was a spy you know, with the American government. Of course, they revetted me. And so when that happened, um, you know, that uh, that's not really relevant to the story. But let me get back to going to Kasumu because this is where the story gets interesting. Um, Pretty interesting. Keep going. Uh, but anyway, we get to Kasumu. I have no contacts other than Otieno, and he doesn't know where to find a house. I can't find a house. We're staying in the Sunset Hotel, which is this old uh, tourist hotel that... Uh, not very nice. The sun nice. has set. Oh, yeah, the no. sun set on it a, f- a few decades ago. And my family's there, and of course my kids are in total shock. Because mm-hmm. everybody's black around. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, because we're really going to a, a deep part of Africa. And, and uh, so anyway, I can't find a house. And I ask everywhere. There's no realtor. There's no for rent signs in the newspaper. There's none of that, and and I I had a one-way ticket, and I had my family, and I had about enough money for two weeks in this hotel, and I began to get nervous, and they were yeah. nervous, and uh, and so I got up one morning, got my Land Rover, and I drove out of the town where I could go pray, and I, I drove up this hill heading out of town and got to the top of the hill uh, that overlooked the, the city and the Lake Victoria, and I saw a dirt road off to the left, so I just turned down there, I parked my vehicle, got out. There's nobody around it. I just began to pray. Okay, stop right there. My guest is Joe Calloway. We're going to take a break and continue the story of how this ministry was launched in Africa. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Coinany. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you ever want to visit us, come to uh, the corner of Central and Glendale in Phoenix or look us up on the web, livingstreams.org. We'd love to have you join us. My guest is Joe Calloway from Grace Walk Church, and he is telling us how their ministry got going in Africa. Keep going, Joe. Well, uh, Mark, what happened was, uh, like I said, we were in uh, Kasumu, and it was a very primitive mm-hmm. time. Uh, this was in the 80s. Uh, no, we're there in 1990. 1989, But like in Kasumu, they don't have refrigerated meat. Mm-hmm. When you go to buy meat, it's, it's just hanging there. In it's the hanging there, and it's got a little green on it. You cut off the green, get to the pink, mm-hmm. and and it smell. may have a few flies that have been landing. Lots on of it. flies, and it's rancid smell. Oh, and man. I told my wife, I'm a vegetarian. That's it. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> and, and my wife's quite a trooper, Tammy. Uh-huh. Uh, she is. She is an amazing woman. She's not your typical woman. And she she shopped and bought the meat and cut off the green uh-huh. and and fed us. But anyway, we didn't have a house. And so so you you go up on this hill. You're going to have some prayer. 
Mm-hmm. We're going. I, I'm praying. I said, God, help me. I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so I got done praying, and I, I noticed there was some construction going on behind me. You know, they're mm-hmm. doing something. I didn't know what. But I drove on down the hill, and as I'm coming into the town, I see a white guy. Mm-hmm. I go, man, white guy. Brother. Things are already looking up. Because <laughs> uh, there were, weren't many white people around Kasumu. Uh-huh. And so I stopped, and I said, do you speak English? Because there's people from all over the world in Africa. And he said, yes. And he spoke American English. And I says, uh, uh, are you a missionary? He said, I am. And I, I said, who are you with? He said, the Assemblies of God. And I says, man, I, I'm a missionary too. I've come here to start a church. And he says, great. Uh, I said, I, but I can't find a house. And he said, that's because there are no houses. He said, it took the Assemblies of God over a year to find us a home to live in here. You're kidding. And I'm just panicking. I'm thinking yeah. my kids are here, one-way yeah. ticket. We're out of money. What are we going to do? And and uh, he says, but I heard of a, uh, I heard of a, a missionary. He went back on furlough for three months. He was looking for somebody to house sit, but I don't know him. Mm-hmm. But I know somebody who, who does know him. So we got in the car, drove over to that house. He rings the the gate, and out comes another white guy. Things are looking up still, and. Uh, uh, so he asked him, he says, yeah, but that guy left two weeks ago. And my heart sunk again. I said, what well, could you call him? Mm-hmm. And uh, back then in Kasumu, trying to get a phone call through, was, it was another miracle. Yeah. It, but uh, you just have to trust me on that. I, I ended up with a crank phone. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a- anyway, so he called him and he answered. And he, their name was the Browns. And, and he says, would you let these people rent your house and house set? And he says, absolutely. So I went and got my family. We were so excited. Wow. We pulled into the yard. It was a beautiful home. And, uh, you know, my kids had made a major sacrifice. You know, they had left. left my son was going into football, and he was very good at it. And uh, then we had to tell them they had to lose their dog. Mm-hmm. So we had a miniature schnauzer uh, named Mitzi. And uh, I said, we're going to have to give it to somebody. And it, they just, I think they thought at the time I was a pretty bad dad. Yeah. And, uh so we get there, and they're really struggling with being in Africa. Where are they going to go to school? No friends, stuff like that. And so we get in this yard, and we start going there, and out runs this gray little dog. Really? It was like God brought this gray little yeah. dog. And it was like a schnauzer mix. It wasn't uh-huh. a purebred, but yeah. it was, it, you know, There's it was no purebreds in Africa no, either. No, I don't they're think it was pure anything. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway... Uh, this dog comes running out, and, and we asked the guy, who says, uh, you know, the guy that worked there, what's the name of the dog? And he said, Mitzi. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. That is absolute God's wow. truth. And it was like God saying again, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you. This is now, what are the mathematical odds? Right. In Tucson, Arizona, you have a dog named Mitzi. That's a yeah. great miniature schnauzer. You, you get a house, and there's a little gray miniature dog whose name is Mitzi, too. Yeah, who your kids are immediately Right. And then we go inside with. the house, and, of course, my son, I think he was having the most difficult time. Mm-hmm. It turns out they have a boy his very age. They became very good friends, went to school together. And... Uh, he goes in his room and has the very posters my son had up in his room. Are you hanging kidding? up in that room. And it was just like God sealed it. Uh, overnight, the church just exploded. Our very first service, we had so many people, we had to turn away people. They got mad. They started stoning the people inside. Uh, it, it was standing room only. And uh, How did you advertise your first I service? I advertised it like I was Reinhardt Bonnke. 
Oh, you're kidding. I copied some of his posters and put on a, a suit, uh-huh. double-breasted suit like he had. You didn't have the big beard in those days? No, and uh-huh. I swung around like he did oh, with you're the suit kidding. flying. And I said, Joe Calloway preaching, you know, from, uh-huh. you know, made, it made it look like it was Reinhardt Bonnke. That's well, they funny. thought it was the real deal. And back then, he was pulling crowds of over 100,000. Yeah. And he'd never been to Kasumu, so oh, it, it packed out. But uh, uh, it was an interesting time. So... Uh, after a few months, a missionary that was in uh, Nairobi, Brian Yeager, he got uh, hepatitis and had to go back to the United States, very, very ill. And so they asked me, we'd been, in, um, we'd been there in Kasumu uh, just short of a year, and the church had really grown. So where'd you go for a house after the mission? The other- oh, I forgot to get to that. So, so anyway, we're, we don't have a house, and three months is getting up, and then the Sikh they're the guys that wear mm-hmm. turbans. Mm-hmm. He said, um, uh, uh, somebody said, hey, that's, uh, this Sikh who's a contractor, he knows of a house uh, that's come mm-hmm. available. So we go over to see this guy, and we ride up this hill that I'd driven up mm-hmm. and turn on that very dirt road. And the, exactly. I don't The mean, house that had been being built behind The house you? being built was a house. The wow. only house available in the entire city of Kasuma, which is a big city. And it overlooked Lake Victoria. It was a beautiful home, four bedroom. Wow. We moved into it. First people ever to live inside it. Paid three hundred dollars a month rent. Are you kidding? And uh, it was just a God thing. And you know, I have to say, the time we lived in Africa, we lived there four years. We saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, just like you see in the Bible. I saw blind people that that the eyes were open, lame people stand up and begin to walk, deaf people hear. Wow. Um, it's, it's the African people are, are, the Kenyans love God, love the word of God, and it's just like their hearts were so open. Uh, it, it, to go to the hospital meant death to them, it, it, mm-hmm. and, and so they needed a miracle, and they just trusted God, and God moved. Wow. So it was a great time. So how did the church do by the time you left? Uh, oh, it was uh, it was it was running about 700 people. Wow. And uh, and, uh, and you loved them and they loved. you. Yeah. And so it did great. So another pastor came uh, came there and took that church over. And uh, we went to Nairobi to take this leadership church over. And uh, it just really grew. I mean, it grew. Uh, we ended up with the largest tent we, it was in a tent, and we had the largest tent in um, in all of Kenya, and uh, we ended up securing property. And today, there's just a magnificent church there, uh, really? block building, beautiful, uh, runs thousands of people. Uh, we ended up planting churches all over Kenya, Tanzania, and India, and uh, we sent Kenyans to India, uh, got registered there as a legal church. And um, today there's hundreds of churches. I don't know how many churches there are, but as a result of our labors there, they're, they're all over India, uh, Tanzania, uh, and uh, Kenya. So it was Congratulations. Uh, it was and what was the deal. effect on your kids when it was all said and done? When it was all said and done, they didn't want to come back to the States. Oh, really? Yeah. They loved it By so now much. they loved it. And they had made friends, and they, we found some great Christian schools uh, over there, they ended up in a, an assembly of God school, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and also uh, for a time in an international school. Wow! And so they loved it, and they were disappointed we were coming home. Wow, <laughs> that that is quite a story. And you know, Jesus said, "If you leave houses or mothers, brothers or sisters, lands for my name's sake, you'll receive a hundredfold with persecutions, 
and in the world to come, everlasting life. So you had the persecutions too, I bet, right? You had some pain. You had it wasn't oh, all yeah, through smooth sailing. Oh, I'm I'm telling you, I was stoned twice for the gospel's sake. Are you kidding? Oh, no, I'm not I, kidding. Like how many people were throwing rocks or whatever? Oh, dozens. Really? You know, and actually, people getting injured. Um, I was in many riots. I'm kind of an adventurous type. I, I, uh-huh. I'm an adrenaline junkie to the max. I mean, I, <laughs> well, you're in the right business. Aren't you? And so, as a result of being that way, I, uh, uh, I I was always adventurous and I got myself in places I shouldn't be. So, uh, where were you going to Muslim areas, or where were you going? Oh yeah, to get, we planted. How did you end up getting stoned? Well, um, the first time was that first service we had, yeah. and people couldn't get in. So the people that got in felt cheated. Uh, the people that were left out felt out, cheated. Out, felt and cheated, throwing started throwing, and I tried to talk to them, and they threw rocks at me. Uh, another time we were showing a movie, mm-hmm. and the projector broke, and they threw stoned us because we didn't finish the movie. Are you kidding? Uh, no. I mean, so they're, they're, they're not, their discipleship might have been just lacking a touch, right? Well, and these were outreaches, you know. Yeah, these weren't yeah. r- disciples yet. Mm-hmm. Um, back when we were in Kenya, uh, we were there four years, and and I would say it was like back in a hundred years ago here. You know, really, it, it was it, primitive. It Most was, people, if they had a bicycle, they were doing well. That kind of thing. Very few people had uh, automobile. Uh, very few had a bicycle. Really, and and uh, so how were the people making their living? They're well, living in shacks mostly. Yeah, or? they lived in the slums. If you ever watch the infomercials on, on Kenya or Africa, they're all filmed in the slum of Kabir, all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's exactly where our church in Nairobi ended up being, mm-hmm. uh, right in that slum. And uh, uh, so uh, they lived in these mud uh, mud, mud, mud huts. Mud huts. And they, one they, next to the other. They had one pit latrine serving about 12 of those mud huts and probably a, f- a lot of disease then, huh? A lot of disease, a lot of incest, a lot of uh, uh, just a lot of sin, a lot of bad stuff. And uh, but So one of the saved. questions I've had is because the gospel's been preached in Africa now for many years, and obviously that it was so vividly displayed in Rwanda which was one of the most Christianized nations in all of Africa, and yet the um, nationalism, tribalism trumped their feelings for Christ because they're all slaughtering each other. What, it, what happens along those lines? Well, tribalism uh, is a form of prejudice. Uh, we, we talk about it here, but it is as bad over there that it's ever been here. So we're going to have to probably end up having you come back. We're going to be right back after these messages, but I've really enjoyed this time with you, Joe. My guest, Joe Calloway from uh, Grace Walk Church. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages.
Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley, and I'm from Living Streams Church. If you ever want to get to know us, you can look us up on the web, livingstreams.org. My guest has been Joe Calloway. Joe, just give us a quick one-minute summary. You were in Africa through the, the mid-'90s, and then where'd you go from there? Well, I came back to Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, took over a small church in uh, downtown Phoenix, or North Phoenix, uh, uh, and uh, not far from here, 32nd Street, Minnesota. And uh, that church, we grew and, and bought the property there, and, and then we moved out west and built a brand new building and, and just having, having revival. Wonderful. Yeah. So you've been leading people to Christ your whole life. And how old are you now? Well, I'm 61 now. 61. Congratulations. If somebody's interested in visiting you at Grace Walk, uh, how can they connect? you have a website they can look uh, up? Yes, our website is gracewalkchurch.org. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, we're on the corner of 79th Avenue and Lower Buckeye Road in Phoenix, Arizona. So you've learned some things about the danger of legalism and the importance of preaching Christ unapologetically, but not putting too much trappings of religion that makes it any tougher than it should be, huh? Yes. Uh, you know, I eventually left the door in 1998. It is very structured, very, uh, very legalistic. So you're thankful that you got saved. You're thankful yes. for so much of the training, but at the same time, you needed I, to I have breathe. nothing bad to say about the door or Pastor Mitchell, but I did have to move on and... Yeah. Uh, uh, that's why we call our church Grace Walk. Amen and amen. Thank you, Joe, so much for being with us. And God bless you guys who are listening. I hope that you'll make yourself available to serve the Lord with all your heart because when you do, that's when you see the supernatural. That's when you see prayers answered. Your heart can get broken, but the kingdom of God will advance and you get to be part of it. And that's the good news. I'm Mark Buckley. Thanks so much for being with us today on Koinonia. God bless you. <laughs>